Home in the life of Moses, and uh, we have been studying his life and looking at it here according to the book of Numbers, perhaps for quite some time now, and uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm beginning to realize there's a lot of things written about Moses, and so uh, we started in Exodus 3, and I uh, have Gone, come all the way to, uh, to Numbers. We've gone to Leviticus, and uh, we're not looking at every nuance and detail of the law necessarily, uh, really just uh, the life of Moses. And this is a key uh, uh, area in Moses' life, though uh, no doubt there is a, uh, his brother Aaron is involved here uh, and is really the center focus and centerpiece of the story. Uh, of, of this little uh, inter-exchange that you have between Moses, Aaron, and the rest of the children of Israel. Um, if you remember number 16, uh, we spoke to that last time, and we've seen one of the most memorable accounts in God's Word about how God, uh, I love how Moses even says it, he says that God does a new thing, and opens up the earth and swallows up people. And, you know, it's like, yeah, that would be a, that'd be pretty much a new thing, right? If and the, and the earth closed around them, uh, and that's exactly what happens. And then the fire falls from heaven, consumes the two hundred and fifty princes, and uh, that's found in Numbers chapter number sixteen. That all came out of one guy named Korah. Uh, he. I believe that he could also be a part of the priesthood. Though he was a Levite, uh, though he had a very important role in uh, the uh, sacrificial ministry and in the temple and the tabernacle work, uh, yet he wanted more. And that's what uh, lust, that's what covetousness, that's what envy does to us, doesn't it? It always leaves us craving more. We have to have more. We're not satisfied with the place where we're at. And uh, um, that was exactly what happened to Korah. Uh, this infectious disease of, of sin and rebellion goes over not only to Korah, but to Dathan and to Abiram. And then it kind of flows over even into the children of Israel at the end of chapter number 16. We're not going to look at that. I'm, I'm hoping to uh, see that maybe again on maybe where I, I really want to preach that on a Sunday morning because, man, there is a great line of thought there that we're going to see there. And I'm just... Just kind of holding off on that for a little bit because uh, we'll see here later what, what he says there. But uh, and then number seventeen, number seventeen, uh, God is going to set the record straight. All right, who is going to be the priest of all of Israel? What family? Uh, what's the person? Who's it going to be? And so Moses sets up a test. Uh, actually, God sets up a test, and Moses just follows through on the plan. In number 17, we read, we'll read the whole chapter, it's a short chapter. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take every of every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods. Write thou every man's name upon his rod. And thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, for one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. Thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony, where I will meet you. And it came to the day, and it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom, and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and none. Every, every one of the princes gave him a rod apiece for each prince, one according to their father's houses, even twelve rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid up the rods before the, before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass, on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and blossom, blossoms and yielded almonds. Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto the children of Israel, and they looked and took every man his rod. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the, before the testimony to be kept for a token against the, against the rebels. Thou shalt uh, quite take away their murmurings from me, that they die not. And Moses did so, 
as the Lord commanded him, so did he. And the children of Israel spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. Whosoever cometh anything near unto the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Shall we be consumed with dying? The nation of Israel had been rebellious towards God. And uh, it was not just, as I said, Korah, but the whole nation had gone and turned themselves against God and against Moses, against God's man. And uh, they are rough with these men. And they want to put them down. And God is here to, uh, if you will, settle the score and to go ahead and set, set the record straight of who is uh, the priest in all of Israel. This story, this account for us tonight, outlines for us several lessons uh, here. But the main lesson that we're going to be seeing tonight is this, is that any life that is useful, any life that is going to be useful and practical and useful in the kingdom of God, life that is going to bring forth fruit, if you will, like Aaron's rod did, must be from the Lord. It's got to be from God. There's no other source, there's no other life source in which uh, it can come from. Aaron's rod demonstrates that perfectly, does it not? I mean, you've got a rod, all right? Everybody knows what a rod is? You know, you go to the Great Smoky Mountains and, you know, you, know, you go into one of the gift shops up there, uh, you can get you a, a walking stick, you know? It's like a rod, you know? I guarantee you, there's no almonds going to be blood budding out of that rod, okay? It's a dead branch. It's, it's been cut off from the vine. It's, um, it's, it's got a purpose, yes, but it, it's dead. It, it, is, it, is, it is no longer yielding forth life. And the only way we're ever going to yield forth life, giving fruit to others and be a blessing to others and be a help to others in life, both generally, practically, and also spiritually, is if we have our life source in God. That's it. There's no other way that it comes about. And so tonight we see that illustrated for us perfectly in this story. And so the first point I want to bring out to us is this. What is God's immediate purpose? Uh, what, is, what is really the point of the text? And there's really, it's not that difficult to figure out, right? I mean, anybody that, you don't have to be a Bible college student to read number 17 to figure out, What's happening here? You know, there's some mysterious thing. And yeah, it's mysterious. It's a miracle. God made a rod to bloom. But the point is obvious. God's immediate purpose in the account that is we have just read here tonight is to show to us that Aaron is God's chosen man. There's, there's, I mean, that's, I mean, okay, great preacher. It sounds good. Let's back up the Bible. You know, I mean, let's, let's move on to chapter 18, you know. But there's more to it. I believe that. That's obvious. But just to break that down a little bit, this is a miracle, all right? Let's not put that to the side, okay? I mean, we read these accounts so many times, or you read through your Bible, and you read stuff, and you go, yeah, I've heard about that before. You get to a message here by Aaron's budding rod or something like that. Yeah, I saw that in a Sunday school one time. Uh, but uh, just picture the scene, if you will, for a moment. I mean, you've got these 12 men, these 12 dead sticks, all right? And they bring these sticks uh, to, to Moses, and uh, they have every one of them writes their name and their tribe on the stick, and Aaron writes his name on it and puts his tribe, Levi, on that, and they put them all into the tabernacle of witness, and they go in uh, the next morning, Moses does, and he takes them all out. Eleven of the rods, six I guess, but eleven of the rods uh, are still dead and lifeless, and one of them buds. One of them brings out leaves. And even almonds are on the rock. And a mirror. A mirror. A miracle. Oh, a miracle is something that cannot be explained by mankind. You know, you, you can't explain it. You, you, there's no, there, it's not like I could be like, you know, and, uh, and, Biology, you see, there exists this, you know, no, there is none of that. This thing is dead, and it's brought back to life by God's hand and by God's power. 
So uh, God is going to allow this miracle to exist in order that the murmuring and the wondering and the complaining and the questioning can stop and they can say, uh, this is God's true priest. Um, Relate that to the life of Jesus Christ just for a moment. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if you don't believe the words that I speak unto you, he said, believe me for the very what? Works sake. Not the words sake, but the very works sake. Jesus did miracles in order to prove that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. He did those so that people could recognize who he was. But yet, they still denied him. They still said no to him. They still crucified our Lord and Savior. But this is also given to us uh, as a, I say I bring that up because uh, sometimes we get this false notion that, well, if there were miracles, then people would believe. That's not the case all the time, all right? I mean, Jesus did the miracles, they still crucified him, right? Aaron's rod buds, but you don't got to read very far past number 17, and the people are still murmuring and complaining, okay? It doesn't completely stop everything. Murmuring and complaining and rebellion and sin and all the rest of it are heart issues. They are spiritual issues that lie within the heart. And a miracle is not going to stop that. Uh, That's not going to quench that. That's not going to stop somebody from being a rebel. What that is is going to have to be something that is inside of them, God working in them and through them and helping them to understand, you know what, this is wrong. This is wrong. So if you've got a rebel in your life, maybe you've got a kid, maybe you've got a co-worker, maybe you've got somebody else that you know is a rebel, you know what you need to pray for? You need to pray for God to work on it. you got a friend, you got a co-worker, you got a, a relative, you got a, a son, a daughter, you got an aunt, an uncle, a sister, a brother that's not saved, guess what? You need to pray God to work on it. Because there's nothing else that could happen to them except it be God. God has to be the agent. God has to be the worker. God has to be the one. He says, you must be born again. Amen? So, it's the Lord. But I noticed this was also interesting to me. Another reason why God does this is that the end of the chapter is that God tells him to bring in in Aaron's rod and keep it in the testimony, before the testimony, to be kept as a token against the rebels. Um... Two things there. Uh, number one is this. Not all the children of Israel were rebels, okay? We sometimes get this picture that all two million people were rebellious, okay? That's not the case. There's an, a definite group of people, the rebels. There was a group of people that were rebellious. They turned away from God. They said, I don't, we don't want to do this. But there were still some that served God and loved God. There's always a remnant. But something that must not be forgotten here for us that are not rebels, usually people that come to church on Sunday night are, I mean, you could be a rebel, but usually you don't run into rebels on Sunday nights, you know. Uh, You can't be, not saying you can't, but but the trouble for us is not being rebels. The trouble for us is that when God does do a miracle in our life, what do we do with it? God told Moses, he said, put it in the testimony and keep it there as a token. When God does a miracle in your life, do you just kind of go, ah, yeah. Or do you like write it down? Do you talk about it to your spouse? Do you mention it to your kids? Do you say, this shouldn't have happened, but it did happen because God was in the thing. Because God put this in. Because God orchestrated that. And that is called a testimony. Amen? That's what that is. You're you're putting it up as a token for a testimony, not against your rebellion, necessarily, but because of God's goodness and God's greatness. And we want to be reminded of those things. Don't forget the miracles that come into your life. Thank God for the miracles. Tell other people about the miracles. And make sure that you leave it as a burden of proof that, you know what? God does still do miracles in this world. Amen? Amen. He still does. All right? All right, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, like I said this morning, we're not word faith or anything here, but hey, I'm not putting God in a box, amen? God's still a big God. 
And God can heal people and God can help people and God can still do great miracles. I mean, if he can make a, if God cares enough to make a rod bud, don't you think he cares enough to maybe heal somebody from cancer if he wants to? And heal this little, uh, heal this little niece of mine who's sick and hurting. I mean, don't you think that God has a, God has a care about him. He has a compassion about him still. He does. So this is God's immediate purpose, is to show to us and to show to the children of Israel, to show to Moses, to show to everybody that God has chosen Aaron to be God's choice man and his for his family to be the priest. Alright? Uh, it's settled. Okay? It's done. There should be no more questioning about that. Okay? But with that in mind. God has even greater purposes than just in his word than just the immediate accounts that are there. Don't we read in 1 Timothy chapter number 2 Timothy 3:16 where it says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, but we, do we forget the last part of that? And it's profitable. It's profitable. All scripture is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so there is an immediate picture, but there is also a prophetic picture that is here. So there's the immediate thing that we're portrait that we're seeing. Aaron is God's chosen man, but then there's the prophetic picture. And that is that Christ is God's chosen son. Christ is God's chosen son. Take your Bibles over to Isaiah chapter number 11 and verse number 1. Isaiah chapter number 11 and verse number 1. Brother Eric Getch kind of, whenever he was here, an evangelist, he was preaching and everything. You know, uh, some of the things that he said really were, were helpful just to think about some things, you know? Like, uh, one of the things that he, that he brought up on a couple of his sermons was that you know, oftentimes whenever you read in the New Testament something, then oftentimes that Jesus was referring to something that was said in the Old Testament. When Paul said something in the New Testament, he was really referring to something back in the Old Testament. Well, this kind of hit me whenever I was studying this out because we're reading this in Numbers, and then Isaiah chapter number 11, verses 1 and 2, look what it says. Do you think there's any correlation here? Same word here, even in the Hebrew, okay? And there shall come forth a rod, a rod, out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Think about that. He says here, he's, he's saying... He's almost saying literally the exact same thing that happened in Numbers chapter number 17. He says a rod is going to come out, and from that rod, a branch is going to shoot out of that right there. And then what is going to happen out of that is that fruit is going to come out of it. He says the same fruit. I know he doesn't say fruit, but what is he talking about? Spiritual fruit. Did you read verse number two? The spirit of the Lord's breath and the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Spiritual things are going to come out of this one. And you know who it is that quotes this text? Does anybody know who quotes it? Oh, it's Jesus, right? About himself. He's the one that is going, he is, this is him. He is the rod. He is the branch. He is the one in which all life-giving sources come out of. But it wasn't enough that Isaiah would tell us this in Isaiah chapter number 11, but also in Isaiah chapter number 53 and verse number 2, he says to us, For he shall grow up as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we shall desire him, that we should desire him. All right? When they brought the 12 rods into the tabernacle of witness that day, Nobody was like impressed with the rods, okay? You know what I mean? Nobody's like, oh, wow, look at that rod. That one's awesome, you know? That one's great. 
Rods are rods. Walking sticks are walking sticks. They are what they are. They serve their purpose. Yes, they do what they're supposed to do. They help you maybe not to fall, not to trip, or things of that nature. Uh, they maybe be uh, maybe even be an ornament of who you are, particularly in the community back in those days. But the point being is this. They are only good for what they're good for. They're not good for growing stuff. All right? They're not good for life. They're not good for giving life. But God says, I'm going to send forth one that is like a dry branch and that is like a, or excuse me, like a dry root and this one that is also like a branch and that's a rod that is going to produce life-giving fruit. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter number 23 and verse number 5, Behold, the days come, say the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. And a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and justice in the earth. And then if we haven't had enough, then Ezekiel tells us about another branch that is going to be coming up. But he words it like this in Ezekiel chapter number 17 and verse number 22, whenever the Bible says this, Thus saith the Lord, I will also take of the highest branch of the cedar, and I will set it. I will prop off the top of his young twigs, a tender one, and plant it in a high mountain, an eminent. And in the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it. And it shall bring forth bows and bear fruit and be a goodly cedar. And under it shall dwell all the fowl of the wing, all the fowl of every wing. And the shadow of the branches thereof shall they dwell. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree and have exalted the low tree and have dried up the green tree and have made the dry tree to flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I have done it. Listen, my friend, God ain't talking about cedar trees and ash trees and fir trees in that chapter, okay? He's got something bigger in his mind, okay? The lowly one, Jesus Christ, how was Jesus born? Where was he born? In a manger. A lowly birth, right? Who was he born to? He was born of royal line. Yes, he was. No doubt about it. He was of the seed of David. But the royal line had gone away from it, had gone out of prominence and had been pushed into obscurity so much to the point now that here are Joseph and Mary and they can't even afford a room at the inn. You know, you say, I thought there was no room in the inn. There was no room in the inn. But do you understand in those days if you got enough money, you know what, somebody else can move out? They didn't have enough. They didn't have that kind of cash flow on them. It was, no, you're out here to the barn. You're going out to the stable. And then he grew up. He didn't grow up in Jerusalem, right? I mean, that's where a prophet comes from, right? No, he had to go up to Galilee. He had to be raised for the first two years out of, out of his own home country in Egypt. And then he had to be brought to Galilee. And then he was raised in that lowly, low-down, good-for-nothing town of Nazareth. Not my words, the words of the Bible and the people that were there, all right? They, didn't, they, they thought, who, who comes to Nazareth? Isn't that what Nathaniel said? Who comes out of Nazareth? Come on. Nobody comes out of Nazareth, that low-down, good-for-nothing city. Nobody's going to come out from there. But that's where Jesus was raised. Did not they say in Mark 6, 3, is not this the carpenter? That was a disparaging term. They're putting him down. The son of Mary. I mean, they're putting him down here. The brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon are not his sisters here. They're just common everyday of people. And the Bible says, and they were offended at him. Why? Because he was this common, ordinary person that came into their lives, and all of a sudden, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom to them. And they're blown away by this. They shouldn't have been blown away. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, even Zechariah, Zechariah 6, 12 says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, he shall grow up into his place. The Bible's clear about this. That Jesus is the prophetic picture of what is happening in Numbers chapter number 17. Jesus is this one. This is, a, this is a type. This is a picture. This is something for us to see so that we can understand that only life-giving source, fruit-giving source, the one that's going to be able to produce life within us, spiritual life, 
And that's the only life there is, my friend. True life comes from Jesus Christ. Say, so why is that so important? Well, I mean, it's kind of important for number one because it's called eternal life. Amen? Alright? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of important that we understand Jesus produces for us eternal life. Okay? That he is the branch. That he is the one that is that is the that is being plucked off the cedar tree, if you will, and planted in a high mountain. The lowly one is being set up on high. That's what Philippians tells us, right? In Philippians chapter 2 and verses number uh, 5 through 11 there where it says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Though he was the one that was humbled, though he was the one that became a man, though he was the one that humbled himself even unto the death of the cross... And now we're learning that this is the one that gives life giving fruit. He's the one that makes us useful. He's the one that gives us eternal life. Jesus does. Praise God for that. So we see a prophetic picture. We see an immediate picture. But we see also a practical picture for us as believers. We see a practical picture. And that practical picture that we find right here is that without God touching our lives, we are useless and hopeless. We sometimes we and, and I'm guilty of this, is that we we put life and we think that life is somehow what I do. You know, you know, I, somebody says, Well, I just don't have a life. What do they mean by that? I mean, I work nine to five and I go home and I don't do anything. You know, that's what, that, that's what somebody means, right? I don't have a life. You ever heard anybody say that before? Those will have a look. Or you don't have a life. You know, you might, somebody might use that as a disparaging comment. You don't have a life. Um, and so we relegate life when we say life is just, uh, you know, having a good time. It's all about my entertainment. It's all about what am I doing tomorrow? Uh, what, what's, what's the next fun and exciting thing on the agenda? You know? Ah, that's life. That's, 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 that's life. Or you can say it like this. The world says it like this. I mean, I'm just like living it up, right? right they're, just, they're just living it up. I mean, they're drinking, they're partying, they've got the girls, they've got the guys, they've got whatever they want, they've got the money. I mean, they're just living it up. Living life to the fullest, some people say. And if we're not careful, as Christians, what will we say? We'll get sucked get sucked right into that, you know what I mean? That vacuum gets turned on and we, we're coming right, we're going, oh yeah, this is life, you know? Especially some of you that are younger in here. You know, you're getting sucked into that money thing, getting sucked into this thing, you're like, man, this is life, this is what I want, you know? Because that's what you're hearing from everybody else around you. But we find in the story here, we found this in an account, and we find the, this practical picture for our lives that really true life does not exist without God. Eternal life? Yes, of course. There is no life outside of God. There is no eternal life. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the life. I mean, people do this all kinds of ways. I mean, we got uh, you got adrenaline junkies, you know. You know what I mean? They just love the adrenaline rush, you know. They can't wait to get into the 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 the, the next roller coaster or the next slingshot or the next you know, bungee jump or skydive, you know what I mean? They're just, they've got to have something. they got to have some kind of thing to, to keep them going like that. That's life. Uh, man, I'm living it up, man. This is great. But what happens when you go home, right? What happens when the drugs wear off? Or what happens when the money goes dry? Or what happens when your wife leaves you? Or what happens whenever, uh, you know, you get sick? Or what happens when you get old, you know? Let me speak generally to this point, first of all. Generally, I would say this. Is that even people that are not Christians, I'm speaking generally here, 
even people that are not Christians, any work that they do that is beneficial, good, or helpful to society is not because of them. It's because God allowed them to do it. That's simple. I don't think, I'm not of the personal opinion that King Cyrus was a same born again, you know what I mean? Baptist Persian, okay? All right? Not really under that influence right there. But what did God do through Cyrus? Through Cyrus, God allowed for all the children of Israel to be released from bondage and captivity and then bring them back to their promised, to their promised land and then even paid the tithe to have the thing built back. Amen? That's good stuff, ain't it? I mean, Joseph, uh, I mean, I I don't think that uh, the king of Egypt or the the, the pharaoh of Egypt is a saved, born again, believer in God, you know? But what did God do? God used him to promote Joseph to a place of status to save his whole entire family and the children of Israel. Uh, Anything that God does, anything that man does, woman does, that people do, that is good, that is beneficial, that is helpful to society, uh, then that's God working in them to allow that good thing to happen. And God can do that. God can do that. It's an amazing thing. But also... In our story here tonight, and I hesitate, I always hesitate to call it a story. I feel like I'm making up fairy tales or something like that. I always like saying it's an account. It's a fact, all right? This really happened, okay? This account that we have for us in number 17 is a practical picture for all of us that are still alive today that are believers. Not only do we have eternal life, but notice what happens. I find this very interesting that it's not until he says, Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and... Um, in verse number six, and Moses laid up the rods of the before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now, there's a lot of discussion there. What is this? What is that? What is the tabernacle of witness? All right. Well, there were two tabernacles in the wilderness. I don't know if you remember this or not. There was a tabernacle of God, where God told them how to build it, and the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, had the brazen altar out front, the laver, all the rest of it. But then Moses also built a tabernacle of witness. It's like a church house. It's where he would go and meet with God. And anybody else that wanted to go meet with God could go with him. Joshua was there. Remember at one point, uh, the Bible teaches us there that the children of Israel were so afraid and they so were, really, they were so not just afraid, but they were really rebellious of heart that they stood in their tent's door when Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. Uh, they, they, you know, Moses can go, but we're not going to go, you know. That's kind of like Moses' thing up there. That's kind of his deal. But it's not until Moses takes them into the tabernacle of witness then the next morning he comes out and guess what? The rods are blue. The rod, the rod is blue. It's not just bloom, it's produced leaves, not only produced leaves, but it's also it's given off fruit. You know, we practically speaking, we become strengthened, we become helped, uh, we become uh, uh, being able to see where we've gone wrong and where we need to do what's right when we come into the tabernacle of witness. When we come to the Lord's house, when we come to church, when we come and meet with one another underneath the preaching of the Word of God, that's the place that we begin to see, you know what? Hey, I need some help. I need some strength. I need to be, I need to be helped in this matter. I need to grow in this area. And when we see that, guess what begins to happen in our lives whenever we begin to uh, root out some of the bad things and put some fertilizer on the good things? Amen? What happens? Anybody know? We start to produce fruit. Maybe not right away. Okay? Takes about 60 days for a tomato to produce. Alright? Takes five years, I think, for a cherry tree. You gotta have some patience for cherries, you know? That's why I guess Washington got in trouble for it. But the point being is this, is that you'll start to grow eventually. 
But you know what people do sometimes? Like, well, I've tried that church thing. You know, well, how often do you go? Well, I went a couple times. You know, it's like, you went a couple times, all right? You think a couple times, and you're just all of a sudden going to be like Superman in a booth. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, you got a cape and you're flying around in your underwear. You know what I mean? It's just, you're just thinking that you're going to be able to do that. No, it doesn't work like that. It takes time, it takes faithfulness, it takes God working in your heart and your life. I love Psalm 73, whenever Asaph is talking about how he got away from God. And I love that because Asaph was a spiritual, godly leader in the nation of Israel. He was the song, he was he was Israel's song leader. Alright? I'm your song leader. I don't want to be the song leader, but that's my point that I get to I'm going to choose on sometimes. Alright? But can you imagine being the song leader for a nation? I mean, he was he was nation, he was the nationwide song leader. And in Psalm 73, he gets away from God. And he's about to quit. And he's so upset with God and with everything else that's going on. But it's not until it says, he says in verse 16 of Psalm 73, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. He's talking about the end of the wicked in that, in that particular place. And he goes on to talk about uh, what his heart felt and how he felt through all of this. And in verse 21 it says, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I love this. Uh, have you ever thought about this? I was as a beast before thee. Have you ever been in church? Have you ever read your Bible? Have you ever been underneath the sound preaching of the Word of God, and you just felt like a total idiot? <laughs> like... God just reveals something to you in a message or maybe you're just sitting down for your daily devotions and you open up God's Word or maybe you're listening to an app and you hear a sermon or something like that or whatever it is and God just, I mean, just slaps you upside the head and you're like, you know, you're just like, man, I am, I am, I'm like a, a dog, you know, I'm an idiot. I'm, I cannot believe that I'm thinking this way. I can't believe that I'm doing these things. I can't believe that I'm saying these things. I can't believe that I'm thinking this way. What am I? You know? But when does God bring those thoughts? When does God kind of whoo, rock, rock us back into reality? Oftentimes when we're at church. It's, it's going to be more in God's Word. Uh, it might even be the rebuke of a friend. Faithful are the wounds, uh, are the wounds of a friend, Right? And your wife might say something to you. I don't want to hear listen to my wife. You know what I mean? I don't want to listen to her. I don't want to listen to my sister. I don't want to listen to my brother. I don't want to listen to my pastor. But then you realize they're right. You know, how dumb could I be? It's just like a dog chasing his tail, you know? It's a practical point. But also think about this, go back to the rod. The rod was barren. The rod had no life-giving source whatsoever in it. But whenever God brought Aaron and Moses through this difficult time here of rebellion, murmuring, complaining, and all the rest of it, it was then, through the trial of affliction, that God brought forth the fruit that came forth out of Aaron's rod. Not before. Amen? Not before. And that's a hard pill to swallow. But it's a practical point that I think gives, gives, gives a great lesson for us here tonight. Is that we have to see that oftentimes fruit bearing comes on the back side of the trial, not usually on the front side of the trial. It comes on the back side. I mean, you know, you, don't you think, I mean, I, if I were Aaron, uh, which I'm not, I know that, but if I were Aaron, and I get done with the day, are you, are you not kind of going, God, why didn't you let my rod bud before we started this journey? You know what I mean? So we wouldn't have to go through all of this stuff, you know? Why does God do that? Why doesn't God just kind of give us the free pass before all the bad stuff happens, you know? 
If I had that answer, you know what I mean? I would be, I don't know the answer to that all the time. And that's when we have to live by faith. But that's also a good, a good point for us to realize that when we go through difficult times, that God is, what does he say in John 15? What's he doing? He's pruning. Pruning. So that you may bear more fruit. Bear more fruit. If you ever grow fruit trees, if you ever do a vegetable garden, you prune. Right? The opposite in my mind would be true, right? Like, man, I want, I want more branches so I can have more fruit, right? Give me lots of branches and I'll have lots of fruit, right? That's not the way it works. That's not the natural law. We have oak trees all around this property. I think there's probably 150 oak trees all around here. It's a ton of oak trees. They're always needing fruit. And uh, Ben plays basketball out there. Come on, you know, I've pruned up these trees and everything. They don't realize that I have I have cut those trees back so many times, but they just keep growing. You know, like a year later, like I just cut all of that out, and it's all you know. You look at stuff. He's like, how? Where did that? Where does it come from? You know, where where does all this come from? But that's God's natural law. Is that when you prune things? Then God does something amazing and miraculous. He sends forth more branches and more fruit than what you could possibly even imagine. One cut of a branch. Ever notice this on an oak tree? One cut on a branch will produce a gazillion other little branches coming off of that whole thing. It's crazy. But that's God's way of doing things. And that's the way God does it in our life. And he oftentimes does that through trials. He cuts some things off. And it seems like it's dead and lifeless. But then God does something miraculous over time. And he begins to grow something that you never thought would ever even grow again. Like Aaron's rod. As I said at the beginning of the message too. Is that without God touching our lives. We are really fruitless creatures. God is the one that produces the fruit in our lives. Just as he produced the fruit coming off of Aaron's budding rod. And I don't know if I ever realized that. Did you ever realize that, the, that, that it produced buds and blossoms and actually almonds, it says there? The, there were actual almonds on the thing? Fruit came out. Fruit came out. I'm glad that God is not interested in just making us a bunch of leaves. Amen? Amen. I'm glad for that. When Jesus came into Jerusalem and the fig tree, all it was, all it had was leaves on it, what did he do? He cursed it. He cursed the fig tree. In Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22, I don't take the time to do it, but what is it called there? It's called the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. Against such there is no law. It's God. It's the Spirit of God working in you and through you. And if you're going to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, and temperance, then it will be God working in you and through you. Say, I don't have very much love, Pastor. I don't have very much joy. I don't have very much meekness or long-suffering or patience. I just don't have patience with people, you know? People get on my nerves. I don't like people. Or maybe you might even say that. Some people say that. Well, you're not going to be able to go down to the five and dime and go find some patience, all right? You're not going to be able to sit in a counseling class with me and I'm not going to be able to pull patients off the shelf and be like, here, here it is. Here's some patients for you. No, it's going to have to be God manifesting that fruit through you in your life by you submitting to Him, by Him cutting off some things that are in your life and then you submitting to God and you coming to church, you listening to God, you listening to His Word, you in prayer, and God over time working in you and five years from now, you say five years from now, yeah, we're more like cherry trees than we are tomatoes, okay? All right? And I'm glad for that. You say, why? Because cherries, because tomato plants die in the wintertime. 
Amen? Cherry trees and those olive trees, there's, there's, they're all olive trees. This blows my mind. In Jerusalem, uh, Alex was just telling us this. He was in there, there, in, there, there, in, there in Jerusalem. There are olive trees there in Jerusalem that are over 2,000 years old. Think about that. Now, how they determined that, I don't know, you know, but whatever. That's crazy to think about. That God that is still using those things to this very day. And God can do the same thing in your life and in my life. We submit it to Him. Submit our lives to Him. Write our names on our life. Matthew J. Cox, right here. Tribe of Cox family. You know? And then God, here I am. I am a dry, dead rod. But God, I know in your hands you can make me bloom and bud. Submit yourself to Him. And what's beautiful about this whole entire thing is this, is that like Aaron's dead rod that came to life again. So two things for us. Realize this, that you and I were once lost in our sins. We were dead, like Ephesians says, right? But now have you been made alive? And then also realize this, isn't this great? That as Aaron's rod, it was dead and it was brought back to life. Isn't it a wonderful thought that one day that when we die and are placed in the grave, that God will one day raise up our mortal bodies and they will be immortal? And this mortal shall take on immortality and this corruptible shall put on incorruption? Praise God for that. You see, these stories... These accounts, they're not just, well, Aaron's rod budded and he was the man. No, these accounts are much greater than that. They're examples. They're left for us as ensamples, sets for us, dies. They're molds for us to follow and to live after and to realize that, guess what? Life is more about, life is not just about uh, just about having fun and parties and games and just, you know, we were, I was driving by, uh, and, and, if, and if you want to go down to Epic Fun, and I've been there and I've taken the kids there before, but I just thought, I was reading that sign and I said, eat, play, what was the other one? <laughs> Rock climbing. Uh, but, <laughs> that's a great mouse. Uh, um, but eat, play, fun. And, and, and that was, that's the, eat, play, fun. Eat, play, fun. And that's the, is, that's the life of America, isn't it? Eat, play, fun. Eat, play, that's what life is all about. But life isn't all about that, my friend. Because one day, you're going to be old and you're going to be decrepit, you're not going to be able to get on a slingshot roller coaster, okay? You're not going to be able to do that. And you're going to have to find that there's other places, there's something else, there's something greater in life. And that's Jesus Christ the Lord. And that's bearing fruit so that you can be an impact on others. So that you can impact the lives of others. So that you can not only bear fruit spiritually, but Lord willing, that you can even bear fruit and see other people get saved and start to bear fruit. And other people start to get saved and bear fruit. And see other people get saved and start to bear fruit. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? That would be a great thing. Because whenever you start to bear fruit, guess what? Other people are benefited by it. That's the great thing about a fruit tree. A fruit tree, you grow up, you grow up, um, we had a, a customer, I had a, we had a, I worked for a guy one time, he had a customer, he had the biggest mandarin tree I've ever seen in my life. It was humongous. Uh, and uh, we were there and he let us go out there and get all these mandarin oranges. They were huge too, they were big mandarin oranges, they were like the size of your, I've never seen mandarin oranges. I said, man, where'd you get this from? He's like, well, about 20 years ago, I got it from Home Depot. You know, we've been growing ever since. And uh, so I went down to Home Depot, thought I'd do the same thing. I died within like three years and everything. So, uh, but you know what? That mandarin orange tree, I guarantee you, does not produce fruit for itself. 
it's not like out there grabbing a, a fruit off and like sticking it back into its, you know, I mean, that would be weird, okay? Okay, it doesn't do that. It's there in order to benefit others. And that's what love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, and temperance, that's what it's all there for. It's not so that, you know, and that's the, that's the, that's the mindset of the world. How can I feel better? What can I do to make myself feel better? It's about me, me, me. And and psychology is about me. And how do you feel? And what do you think is best for your life? And how do you best want to run your life? And what do you think you should do in this particular situation? Whenever Jesus from heaven is screaming out saying, No, 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 no. I didn't come to live for me when I came. I came to live for you. And in living for you, I produce great results. Amazing results. It's called people that are sitting in the church right now that are saved, born again, going to heaven. Amen? Life isn't about us, but we get focused on us. God is reminding the children of Israel that you know what? Life isn't about you. Rebels. You're not rebels, all right? I'm talking to the children of Israel. Rebels is not about you. We gotta realize life ain't about us. It's about God empowering us, enabling us to produce fruit so that we can benefit and serve others. And in benefiting and serving others, guess what? We see others that are helped, that are encouraged, that are strengthened, and that are possibly even saved. Amen? May God help us to see the immediate picture, the prophetic picture, and the practical picture this wonderful account that's given to us. To always remember that we are only useful and fruitful when we are placed in the hands of God. God is working through us. And may God work through us all. Father, we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for your message that you've given to us in your word. We pray that, Father, that God, we would be people of practicality and we would realize that we need to start producing not for the benefit of ourselves, but for the benefit of others. May God, you produce this fruit in our life. May God, you prune us. May God, you enable us to be the believers that you call us to be. We thank you for what you do. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. It's good to see you tonight. And uh, you are dismissed. What happened? But did you? Did you? Yeah, John, it's coming.